was good, we ask of thee, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Right, we're on chapter 25 in the book, in the notebook you have. That's all you have in that one, so the other notebooks have the preceding ones. I thought, you know, I was thinking about this chapter in this, this time of the year, the time of the Reformation, and particularly what we're talking about, what we left off with and what we'll pick up with, how the church has been more or less visible at times, more or less pure, and certainly the Reformation, revivals have pointed out. You see through God's working, through people, through ministers, through the true preaching of his word, how he has brought the church, as it were, back to himself at times. He has revived his people. He has further established the work of his kingdom. And I thought, well, while we are looking at this, just keep that in mind. The things, and especially the, the two paragraphs we're on right now, uh, because not only, not only does it apply, obviously, to the church, and I've mentioned this, but much of this applies to us individually. As go the individuals of the church, so go the church particularly as go the leaders of the church. A lot of times, so goes the church, but not just the leaders. And we'll see that some today, that many times the church goes astray because, yes, leaders aren't doing what they should be doing, but because those in the pew don't know don't hold them accountable, if I can put it that way. Are happy to be led. And we see, and we'll see in some of the churches and things we look at this morning, that unfortunately, sometimes that's the wrong direction. That's not a good thing. So it's important that we consider, as we consider the church, and again, that's what this chapter is about, the corporate body, but again, uh, don't, don't lose sight of uh, what we're considering and how it impacts you and how it impacts me personally. Right? So chapter 25, uh, we started with the invisible church, the first paragraph. Those known to God to be part of his elect. Right? That's the invisible. The visible what we see, second paragraph, the visible church. And again, just kind of what it suggests, you know, people you can see. That church, not all that are in that church are in the invisible church. For we learn that in the visible church, you have those who profess to be saved and know Christ. But some of them aren't. And it, you see in scripture, those that fall away, those that are led astray, uh, they turn, as it were, seems they turn away from their faith. That's, they, they were professors, they, they were part of, they were members in a church. 
and yet they were not part of the invisible church. All right? Then we saw the, in paragraph three, we saw the functioning church, the, 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 what the church is to be doing, the ministry of the church, the equipment that God gave the church, the word and the sacraments. Um, so we, the, the tools as it were, and then we considered that was impressed again, we considered, and, and it is constantly here, and it's a good thing, that you can have all the tools and you can do all the right things, but if you don't have the presence of, of Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. We saw in the larger catechism, question 63, privileges that the church had, and then we got to this paragraph four, it's 25.4, page 638 in your little notebook. This Catholic church, this universal church, and I, I labeled this one the fluctuating church, the, the Catholic, this Catholic church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, so there's one part, and particular churches which are members thereof are more or less pure, visible and pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, right, and embraced. You can have the gospel taught every day of the week if you so choose. If it's not embraced, it's not going to do much. Gospel is taught and embraced. Ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. I might add that embracing of the gospel yes for the church corporately but that's one of the places where it's critical that the people in the pew are active doing the same thing embracing that teaching that gospel and we looked at some of the the passages there the proof text now we considered my first question what causes and i put a few words in here what causes the true church to be more or less visible and I added there in the right way, are more or less pure. And we had considered persecution, that was proof text there, number one, Romans. Uh, careless, you know, you, you, you've been a little careless, you aren't, you aren't minding what's happening. You're satisfied, things seem to be going pretty good and you just aren't keeping the watch you need to be keeping. First uh, Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Uh, there on it's number 2 on page 638. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, just a little leaven in the church. Got to be careful. Then we looked at the, uh, the churches that are presented to us in Revelation 2 and 3. And again, we, we, I think I noted that most of the churches that you see described there, you, you would you'd be very happy to be a member of that church. You'd be very, very satisfied for the most part. It's a good church. Good church, doing the right things. Orthodox, worship, praise, praying, teaching, 
But God pointed out, and this is where I, the thought that crossed my mind, and probably y'all have already thought about it, but this is where I thought, you know, the Lord points out things about individuals in Scripture, but you can take those churches and you look at them like they were individuals and see if you fit one of them. I got to thinking, you know, here's the church at Ephesus. We talked about it. Great church. Great church. Except for one thing. Why they were doing what they were doing. They obviously started out on fire for the Lord. They had a zeal in their heart to do what they were doing for the Lord. It appears that they got satisfied to do it for themselves. They lost their first love. What was motivating them? What was helping them, encouraging them? And so they were doing it for the, to, to, to appease their conscience. They were doing it because it seemed like the right thing to do. Whatever they were doing, they were not doing it with an eye toward, is this glorifying the Lord? Am I doing what I'm doing? Am I asking for the help of the Holy Spirit for our service today? Am I asking for the help of the Holy Spirit from my own heart today? Or do I expect God to acknowledge that I'm doing the right things and to be pleased with me and send the Spirit on his own, whether I ask for him or not? Certainly the Lord kind of owes it to us, right? If we're trying to do what's right. You kind of see how easy? And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think those things, and I wouldn't either. We certainly wouldn't say them out loud, and we wouldn't think them out loud. But is that the way we act sometimes? When we come? If you come, and if I come, and I'm guilty of this. If I come to church, and I haven't asked for the help of the Holy Spirit in my worship, have I not done what I just described? Either I really don't care if I'm worshiping God aright, or I'm presuming upon God that he's going to do what he needs to do to help me make good use of this time. And I would suggest to you, it's the very reason that the Lord said what he did about the Holy Spirit. You, you don't have the Holy Spirit because maybe you think I'm going to just send him. And not that God doesn't in his mercy do that at times. To convict us or to convince us. But you don't have the Holy Spirit because you don't ask for him. If you don't ask for him, the implication, obviously, the other side, you're not going to have him. So these churches, Ephesus, we had the church of Laodicea, 
That was the one that wasn't hot or cold. They were indifferent. Made God sick. Just want to spew you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. Had the church at Ephesus we've talked about. Had the church Pergamos, Thyatira, very similar, those two. Revelation 2, Pergamos 2, 12 through 17, Thyatira 2, 18 through 29. Doctrine, teaching, what was happening there. They were tolerating, and in some cases, they were allowing false teaching. In some cases, they were allowing false doctrine to be embraced in some way, and nothing was being done. It was a lack of discipline. So you had that um, activity. You had the problems there. Now, I think that's about where we got to. Um, so I want to pick up, and I've got a few more, and you may have some, and you're welcome to... Uh, Comment on any of the ones that we talk about, and if you've got others, please feel free to speak up and add to it. But I'm, I'm, I'm spending time on this, and maybe, maybe I'm spending more time than I need to. But it just concerns me that we're part of the church, and the church is critical in our civilization. The church has the, the job of making of teaching the ministry, giving the gospel, evangelizing, evangelizing and educating. And if it fails to do that, if it's less pure, we get what we get on the civil side, the civil magistrate. And we've already dealt with that, but we can't blame all of our problems on the civil magistrate, the ungodliness, because, as we talked about, God's sovereign, and God, in his word, has made it clear, again, that what he does over here in the civil side hinges on what we do over here on the side of the church. Are we praying? Are we preaching? Are we being true to God's word? So my next little line that I've got is uh, wrong theology. If you look at Second Peter, some of these verses and passages you'll be familiar with, but Second Peter. Um, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies in the church, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious way, many in the church will follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, 
and their damnation slumbereth not. Okay? Wrong doctrine. You get wrong doctrine in the church, and it's going to certainly be less pure, isn't it? And if it's tolerated, and you see it. I mean, we see it. There are churches today that you wouldn't go sit in the pew five minutes that not all that long ago you'd been happy enough to, to be there. You'd been comfortable enough to be there. And what happened? Why are you uncomfortable? Because what they're teaching, even denying, how in the world, how could some, how could an entity that's called a church deny the Lord that bought them? Well, salvation is not all of God. Well, it's my works, at least in part. That's denying the Lord that bought them. So there's a warning. It's a warning. So how do you keep? How do you keep that from happening? You know the truth, right? Now how do you know the truth? You read the word. You read the word, you study it, you heed it, you know it. Then when the wrong teaching comes in, you, you're it. Whoa. Minister, elders, what, what? Do you really believe what was preached today? Uh, the implication, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously this hasn't happened in. I trust it never will. But it's happening in churches. Christ, good man. Christ was a good man. And they leave it right there. Now Christ was a good man. But Christ was a whole lot more. He was the son of God. He was and is the redeemer of God's elect. But... You've got, obviously, the Roman Catholic Church. And, and you, you look at what they teach, and you, how, could, how can you believe? If you read God's word, how can you believe what's being said and taught? And the conclusion you have to come to, and certainly the actions of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church, was to not have the word that people could read. Because what happened? What happened? How did Martin Luther come to the conclusion he can come to being in a, granted the Holy Spirit opened his eyes, but what was he doing? He was reading God's word. And he was a priest. He was had access. What about all the ones in the church over the decades, centuries that never seen God's word? And you can understand how the corruption comes about, can't you? Because all they know is what they're told. And they follow it even to the damnation of their own souls. 
wrong theology. Prayer, or lack of it, talked about it some. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. If you look at Luke, take a look at Luke 11. Again, passage, most of these passages, not all of them are known well to you. Just good for us to be reminded. Luke 11, we'll begin with verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit And what does the rest of it say? To them that ask him. Church that stops asking for the help of the Holy Spirit is a church that's not going to do anything. It's a church in trouble. The individual that doesn't ask for the help of the Holy Spirit every day is a person that's going to have some problems. The Holy Spirit's critical. Critical. So critical. Praying. Persistent, believing prayer. Prayer's the, prayer's the way we consciously, all right? You pray, I pray. It's you consciously involving God in your life. It is an undertaking on your part. You've got to give thought. We've, we've had lessons on prayer, so I'm not going to go back through. But you've got to obviously believe that God hears you and will answer. But if you never talk to him, what's he supposed to be hearing and answering? Right? Prayer is you're laying hold of God and bringing him into your life and saying, God, I need you. I need you to show me what I'm to do here. I need you to guide me concerning this job. I need your help in this matter of this temptation, whatever it is. It's you consciously laying hold of God. When the church does not consciously Seek to lay hold of God. It's a church in trouble. If it's not, it's going to be pretty quickly. Okay? More or less visible. Perhaps, perhaps, and I don't know. Um, we pray. We pray that God will, and, and it, was, it was a matter of the week of prayer. It, it was a concern. How, how, do we, how do we get people to know we even exist? 
to think about coming here, to being a part of the church? How, how can we be more visible? And certainly, we want to try our best to be as pure as we can be. Well, certainly, we know God can make us as visible as he wants to make us. He could stop every car out there on that road right now. Stop every one of them. Just literally. And have people getting out, walking to this front door. He could do that. I firmly believe he can do that. Do we ask him to? Would we dare ask him to? How we might, how he might bless our churches? Engaging God in the work of our church. You say, well, what kind of a church would not do that? A church that's satisfied with itself. Feels very self-sufficient. Just like the kind of person that would do that. If we don't understand and appreciate just how dependent we are on God, no, we, we won't ask for his help. You've known and met people, and I may be speaking to myself and others. I can, I can take care of this. I can handle this. You know, yep, not a problem. Got it under control. And never think twice about praying about it. We saw that some with Paul and some of his activities, not many, but it's easy to do. When the Lord's blessing, and that's sometimes the easiest, when the Lord's blessing, well, I, I, don't, I don't need to bother God with this one. I can, I can handle it. If the Lord gives us minds and gives us the abilities, and yes, you very well could handle it. But when you stop and ask God to help, it's just an acknowledgement that the reason you can handle it is because God's given you that gift or that ability. All right. Prayer. Attitude toward God's word. Our memory passage. Oh, how love I thy law. Is that our attitude? 2 Timothy 3.16, verse that we know um, that, that God's word's profitable for so many things. Okay. But I think part of it here, and, and we know these things. You know these things. I'm not telling you anything new. But for me, I, again, I, I look at these things as I'm going through it. I think a lot of this, too, has to do with our attitude. That is, do we want to know what God's word says about something? Do we, do we want it to guide us? Or do we want to just kind of say, you know, I, um, I, I, can, I think I know right from wrong and 
what's good and bad and what's better and best and you know I I, I think I can make those decisions and um, we make the decision and we come to find out that while it looked right to us God's word said it, it wasn't right we, we handled it the wrong way so do we want to know what God's word says and then the rest of that is do we want to then apply it because we live in a day and age even within the church there's such a great tolerance there is such a wide and I'm not sitting here throwing stones not, not my intent just that if we aren't looking at God's word if we're looking at what well the people in, in this church over here that we consider to be a good church if we're looking at what they do well it must be okay right they're a good church and they're doing it, it must not be wrong and maybe we like that standard because we'd like to do it too or maybe that's just the way we, we think sometimes. Jack, welcome back. Mm -hmm. Can't get enough of it. Yeah, good. Jack's pointing out Psalm 1, 1 and 2. In, in the godly man's delight is in God's word. And said, Mr. Kaufman. Oh, there's no question that the availability of the Word of God to people. And then they read it. And again, it can be available. God's Word's available to a lot of people. Everybody in this country. There's no excuse for them not to have a Bible. But there, they wanted to read it. And there are those here that have never picked up a Bible and for whatever reason, the Spirit of God puts it upon their heart. I'm gonna, you know, they see one, they pick it up and they start reading it. And I've never, I never knew this. You'd be amazed. You would be amazed at the number of people in good churches who would tell you I had no clue that God's word said this or said that. And some of these people have been saved for a good while. I'm not talking about 
newborn babes in Christ. I'm talking about people that have been saved. And that's why I say, do, do we want to know, and, and I think this is Jack's, when we delight in God's word, we will know what it says. We will know what's there. But when you're realizing, and if you take seriously your responsibilities to God, even for your own life, and if you've got responsibility for others, whoa. Well, what does God's word say? Because if I tell them wrong, it's on me. God will hold me accountable, and rightly so. And rightly so. That's why parents, you know, train up a child how? In what? In the way he's to go, right? So how do you know what way he's to go? What's the directive there? Train up a child according to what I tell you in my word. Right? That's the function of the church. That's why we do what we do. While we're doing what we do here right now is to take God's word and see what it says. And what do we need to do? And how we need to use it? What does it have to say about this? You know? We're going to have communion this morning. Why do we have communion? Because we know from God's word that we're to do this till he comes again. And we know why we're to do it. To remember what Christ has done for us in his body, in his living, perfectly, obeying the law, keeping the law, and in his dying to shed his blood for our sin. Okay? So we know. We, we don't do this as a ritual. We don't do this because somebody thought, you know, that's, that'd be a good thing to keep in front of the people. It is a good thing to keep in front of the people. But obviously, the Lord wanted us to do it for the right reason, too, and instituted it for us. Right. Charity. Charity, and we'll start with this today. And this one we're going to spend a bit of time on. And the reason being, and again, I didn't plan on spending all the time that I'm going to spend on it, but you, you, you realize that the Ten Commandments, the embodiment of those Ten Commandments, the, the way Christ summarized them is to have love for God and love for man. Now, if that's what God has said the moral law is all about, if we're going to have a church that's more visible, what was the mark? What was it that people said about the early church? How they, what? How they love one, one another. They saw it. It was visible. They saw it. And it's important 
How do you know the people in this, that'll be in this building care about you? I hear them pray. I engage in conversation with them. But I see people do things for people. You know, if you have to have somebody tell you they love you, it's not wrong. But if that's the only way you know they love you is because they told you something's missing, okay? Because they'll show it sooner or later. Depends on the relationship, obviously, the opportunity. But you'll know it. You'll see it. Let's, um, let's just turn to 1 Corinthians, obviously very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 13. And I've turned to this so many times. You, And we'll just close by reading this. And we'll look at Romans 8, excuse me, uh, Romans 13 as well next week. But, and then we'll look at 1 John some. But you look at this chapter and you, and we read down through it and if you live according to this chapter, people are going to see it. You'll be visible. You'll probably stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I'm saying the right things and I'm saying it in the right way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that's quite a Christian life there, isn't it? Described for you? I think any one of us in here I'd say if I could attain to half of what that's saying. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, I could stop the traffic on Haywood Road and have not charity. I'm not much of a church. I'm not much of an individual. As a matter of fact, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Which is the reason a lot of people do those things. For their own self-glory, their own satisfying their own conscience. Have not charity. So now the Lord's told us if you don't have charity, you're nothing. What you're doing is nothing. But then he very kindly defines charity for us. Charity, he defines it by what it does, how it looks, how it acts. 
Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Well, it gets harder and harder, doesn't it? Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And if God tells us the greatest of those is charity, would we not expect charity to be the greatest mark of our church and of our life? Isn't that what God is saying here? That whatever you do, whatever you say, however good it is, if it's not from a heart of love. And I would suggest to you that that heart of love is a result of a lot of praying and a lot of studying of God's word. Okay? And if what we do is not from that heart of love, it doesn't just come automatically just because we're saved. You've got to work on that harder than anything else in your life. That is the probably number one sanctifying work that we all have to work on and deal with constantly. It's just too easy, isn't it? to return with a sharp word, to say the wrong thing, to talk about somebody, to assume what we want to assume because we know what kind of person they are. You can go on and on. Okay? All right. We'll, we'll talk more about this one next week because, again, 
I think it's, it's important. And we're talking about our church right now. What makes us more or less visible and what makes us more or less pure? That's, that's where I want it to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you for your love and your patience. Lord, all the things we've just read about. Every one of us has experienced in our relationship with thee knowing the love that you've shown to us, notwithstanding how we've acted and what we've done. And we thank you for that. And we pray now that as we go from this time, Lord, that you'll help us. Help us to love you. Help us to love one another. Help us to love our enemies. We'll see that more of that. Lord, help us to show a Christ-like love. A love for men's souls. A love that shares the gospel. And that encourages one another in the things of God. So bless us in our time now between now and the morning service. And we do pray, Lord, that your presence would be known with us this day. And that the Spirit of God would be at work in our midst, in every heart. Lord, speak through your word. Speak through our minister. Lord, and may our hearts, may our ears hear our minds understand and our heart receive what you have for us today. And we'll thank you for it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.